Again. Did you turn off the power strip? Yeah, I did turn off the power strip. It's Dr. Lisa. Hi. Um, I'm here today with uh, my guest, Tiana Miller, who is a uh, highly respected stand-up comedian. And she's only 27 years old, but I think she's lived like a lot longer and a lot and a lot deeper. Well, certainly than I have. And I'm a lot. Well, than you have probably you if you're if you have a like a if you have a computer and you're listening to this then she's definitely had a harder life you know you own a computer she's had a harder life than you have (laughs) so um i'm gonna start with our theme song okay i'm still learning the uh you know uh, this is only my second show so i'm still learning so work with me here okay i'm going to play our theme song right now Okay, so I think you get the message of what we're trying to do here. Um, you know, keep it keep it from growing up. Keep it real. Uh, have you heard that expression before? So anyway, um, Tiana, oh, good hey, afternoon. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad this is a radio show because I have pretty stinky BO. So. Oh, really? I can't smell it in oh, here. Oh, good, good. I don't think so. I think <laughs> I'd be able to smell it in a small room. Um so uh, I wish you guys could all see Tiana's bright and shiny face, though. She she is definitely like she <laughs> she definitely like gives you a good feeling when you look at her. You do. You look like kind of energetic and wide eyed and all that. So I wish you guys could see her. She's got great hair too. Oh, thank you. I love and, it. <laughs> and, and really, really, really great tattoos. Oh, thanks. So anyway, the deal is with Tiana is that um, she's had a really difficult, complicated life. And uh, we only have less than an hour to discuss it, almost an hour, but not a whole hour. So uh, what I thought we would do, what we discussed, is, is we're going to have a very efficient beginning to the show. I'm going to, uh, Tiana's going to tell us, um, she's just going to tell us like what she's done, what her achievements are. And then we're going to go through and uh, discuss her difficulties, and we're going to sort of go down a couple of those roads to find out more. And while you're listening to this, I want you guys to understand what's so important here, I believe, is that, like, if Tiana can do it, we can all do it, okay? Because I don't know a lot of people who've been through what she's done 
And it's actually, I think, been liberating for her. One of the major things that I actually didn't mention is that Tiana has MS as well. She's walking with a cane, the funkiest cane I've ever seen. Thanks, I had to but decorate it. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't keep her from um, doing what she's got to do. So if you have trouble getting out of bed, here's your inspiration. So. Tiana, hello. Hey. Let's um so let's start let's start with the good stuff. Tell me all the great I'm asking you to brag. Please <laughs> brag. I think you just did enough for me, but um I uh well let's see. I have a popular blog on Funny or Die, as long as a series on there called What the Fuck News, where I just cover ridiculous news stories. I kind of slowed down on that when I started doing stand up, but there's also a lot of great videos on there. I also have a uh, cult movie podcast <clears throat> and horror movie, any sort of just it's for movie dorks and we dork out about movies. Uh, we I do the music on there, too. I play guitar and sing and we uh, are free on iTunes or you can find us at www.ewadib.com or on Twitter under the same name or Facebook. We are called Everything We Are Doing Is Bad. And we are also on Sirius XM channel 121. John Fugel sings Tell Me Everything as r- with uh, Frank Conniff of Mystery Science Theater 3000 as bi-monthly guests. Uh, and then I run a, I run my own show at the popular comedy club Pimple Arcade, Mexican restaurant, basically heaven, The Creek in the Cave in uh, Long Island City, third Monday of every month at 10 o'clock. It's called Gentrification. Uh, I also do a monthly character where I make up a new character at Auto's Shrunken Head. Um, that is the first Saturday of every month at 6. What am I telling you guys? Can you get over this? This is going to take up the whole show, Tiana. I Just tell your credits. I, I guess I should stop now. Uh, no, no. Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I host a show on uh, on Wednesdays in the West Village all you have to do is walk down McDougal. You'll find us. See what I'm saying here? She's only 27, and look at all she's accomplished. Okay, now before we get to the other side, the dark side of Tiana, um, I want to make sure that we get a station identification, okay? <laughs> oh, I forgot one more thing. Oh, I yeah? also am in a indie band called uh, Hermit Heroes. You can find us on SoundCloud or Facebook, Hermit Heroes. A self-made woman. This is what I'm telling you. <laughs> Okay, so we're Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, you can listen to us at, if you, you probably are already, but it's www.radiofreebrooklyn.com. And I also want to let you know that our show is a call-in show today. So I want you to, I'm going to get started and uh, really uh, try to get get some you know, something going and, and some information. I mean, we're not ready for, we haven't started the damn show, so we don't want you to call in yet, but... Listen carefully, and then in about 15 or 20 minutes, we'll want you to call in. So the number is 718-395-3731. That's 718-395-3731. So write that down and think about, like, if you're inspired to call in, call in. Okay. So, Tiana, now we're ready to hear the, the tough stuff. What, the what, what have you been side. through in your life? Oh, man, I almost wish I could do this to metal guitar. <laughs> um, I don't know. Where do you want me to start? Well, I mean, you know, one of the things is 
um, I mean, we talked before, um, you've been through, you know, drugs, Oh, um, home, home, drugs, homelessness, and um, finding out that you had MS. Yeah, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> my mother actually, uh, my parents got divorced when I was very young, and my mom left the house when I was 10. Um, and uh, I only got to see her every other weekend. And then when I was about 14, after 9-11 and all of that, she actually moved down to Florida, so I really never got to see her. And my dad ended up remarrying and having two girls move in. Uh, I was very rebellious. I always wanted to be a writer, but the kind of writers I looked up to were a little bit wild. Bukowski? Uh, yeah, Bukowski, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, Jack Kerouac, William S. Burroughs. The beat, the beat writers were my obsession. It was, I actually took my TV out of my room because I just wanted to study writing. I, wanted, I wow. just wanted to be the big, a big writer. Creative drive. Oh, yeah, I wanted to go to uh, Bennington University really bad because uh, George, Sa- George Saunders, who's one of my favorite writers, he's a hysterical satirist. He taught there, but I realized uh, young, I, my dad didn't mean to be, but he was very neglectful. And I realized very, um, when I went to get a recommendation letter, my teacher sat me mm-hmm. down and told me I would never be able to afford that college, which is a terrible thing to do. Yeah. And hey, can I, can I just say, as, as a, a self-proclaimed psychotherapist, I just want to make a note of this. You said that your father was neglectful, but that he didn't mean to be. So um, I think that's a that's a note worth thinking about because I mean we we can get into that later. But it's I wonder if he's getting. I just have to say this because that's what I do. I'm a ther- fake therapist. I think that that may be letting him off the hook, but we don't know. Okay, so. Just keep going. Just tell I, us, tell us like kind of a list. A I list. don't, I don't believe in holding grudges. And with kind of neglectful, I think uh, when I was growing up, my father was also struggling with alcoholism. And as someone who struggled with addiction themselves, that's not you. And also, he was hmm. a single father, and he did the girly things. But the, we'll move on. Okay, Tiana's more mature than anybody I've ever met. Okay, <laughs> I got it. I'm 86 years old. Basically. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I was very uncomfortable in that home and that's about the time I got into drugs and I had my first, uh, real, you know, teenage love where your eyes fill with hearts and all you want to do is touch each other at all times. I met, uh, my first love, uh, Tim Mertz and he, I ended up, I felt very unwanted in my house and it was getting to the point where I just felt like abused. I wanted a home, and when I was at Tim's, I felt like I had a home, and I had a mother. His mom is very sweet, and I had a little sister, so I ended up running away. I stayed mostly at Tim's, also at my other friend Mickey's, um, and then I would travel taking the Fung Wah bus and just kind of live on the streets and just travel, but I did... Uh, get into heroin when I was 17 and formed a very, very bad addiction. And then when I was around 20, I ended up getting arrested in a bikini of all things. Nice. Uh, Well, well, not nice when you're not because of, but but not because you were 
exposing yourself. Is that what you mean? I know. Well, the, the thing, the funny thing about being—it's not funny, but the funny thing about being arrested in a bikini it's is they—they they put yeah, they put you in a central booking, and you're just like a twenty-year, nineteen-year-old girl in a bikini chained to a desk while all these criminals are walking through. <laughs> awesome. So if you've ever wanted to hear street harassment, I totally recommend doing that for twelve Whoa. hours. But uh, after that, the stress of that, I think, I got clean after that. The arrest? Is it the arrest that really turned you around? Were you in jail? Did you do time? No, I didn't do time. They didn't have a woman's holding cell. So Mm -hmm. I was just like, at the time, I was just chained in central booking for a while. And Mm -hmm. I ended up, um, my boyfriend ended up coming and bailing me out. And where was that? In River. I believe they took me to River. In Long Long Island? Yapank in Long Island, yeah. Okay. And then... The pr- I had so much stress because it was either jail or probation, but with probation, the probation officer has to come visit where you live. And they would quick, first of all, I didn't want to put uh, my boyfriend's mom through that. Second of all, where am I going to take them? Oh, this is my car. This is my trunk with all my stuff in it. You know, so I was very stressed. I was very scared. And then one day, I would, at the time, I was working two jobs as a waitress. And uh, by the way, I've been working full time since I was like 12. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'll do it. That'll do it, too. That'll okay. make you grow up. Uh, yeah. So I was, an over, I was working as a waitress and at a uh, U.S. postal clerk, postal service. Again, my boyfriend's mom kind of like was like, why don't you do that? So I went. Uh, I was an early morning postal clerk, and I went to get my coffee before usual, and I kept dropping it. I couldn't tell my arm to grab it. It was the strangest thing. You grow up, you're so used to being like, I'm going to pick up this phone. You don't even think about it, and you pick up the phone. All of a sudden, I'm going to pick up this coffee. My hand wasn't responding to my brain. So it was like out of your control. All of a sudden, your body wasn't, you realized there was something wrong with your body and you couldn't figure out what it was. Right. Well, uh, no, I had always known something was off with me. I used to pass out in uh, really hot showers. I would just faint. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad uh, would was constantly yelling at me, slow down, you're too shaky, slow down, you're too shaky, calm down. So how did you find out it was MS? Uh, so what ended up happening is I kept trying to go to work, but one morning I woke up and the entire, uh, right side of my body was completely dead. I could not move my, my mouth, my eye, my hands, my legs. I was literally, you know, I couldn't move anything. Like it's crazy to look down at your hand and you see it there, but you don't feel it. That's frightening. So you had a friend that told you I want to hear the story about how uh, your friend got you to the hospital oh I wouldn't go to the hospital because I was like I'm okay I'm homeless I have charges pending I don't have insurance I don't have any family maybe if I just ignore this it'll go away turns out when you go completely numb on one side you should probably not ignore it so I let it go for like a week and my I was I was very hungry I wasn't eating right and my best friend from uh, elementary school, best friend since I was five, called me and was like, hey, I'm taking you to Taco Bell. And I was like, I don't feel good. I don't really even want to get out of bed. And she was like, no, 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 come on. I'm taking you to Taco Bell. And I loved burritos. So she did. She took me to Taco Bell, but then she took me to the hospital and she said, 
you have to go in here. I'm not leaving till you go in. Wow. So basically my friend Stephanie Mazrak has saved my life and I'll never forget that. That is really, that is really, that is really amazing. I mean, that's It's funny that she tricked me with Taco Bell, too. (laughs) That's an intervention. That's an intervention. Um, Uh, So you got clean after you were arrested, though. Is that how you kicked? I was was a very bad junkie. I could not even shoot myself. I I used to get bad anxiety attacks when picking up and stuff like that. Um, uh, I didn't want... I didn't want... What happened during those years, I was very anxious and depressed and my whole life I had really wanted to be a writer and I think I had kind of given up on myself and so had my boyfriend at the time and we were both just like holding on to each other and did his parents know that you were that you were, you know, junkies? His parents were amazing. They did everything they could to help us. But, but they I, knew what was going on. Yeah, but it was a slow... Wow, that's tough. It was a slow process. His, I feel very, very bad for his parents because they knew what was going on, but they didn't... They stuck by their son, which is the right thing to do. Wow. I mean, a lot of it... A lot of the people I know who did get hooked also had mental illnesses, and it was a way to self-treat. Right. Because you don't feel anything... So that anxiety, that depression, that frustration, so now, the anger, it's all gone. So now this was when you were in high school? Yeah, uh, when I was high school, in high school. Yeah, I had the stroke when I was 20. So, And you had a stroke, which is not actually related to any of this? No, this I call it a stroke because the, it, it's all stroke symptoms, but it's actually when I had 10 lesions on my left cortex. One of them was two centimeters uh Deep and what happens is your nervous system starts swelling, mm-hmm. and that's when you go numb. Mm-hmm. So it, they, I think it's called a TSA, but I always just refer to it as a stroke because then people get the symptoms. Uh, and that, but that was because of the MS, right? And that was when I got diagnosed with the MS. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay, so you know, I mean, um, you've been through more than anybody your age should ever have to go through. Um, I want to understand a little bit, like. I mean, stereotypically, I don't know about your background. Stereotypically, we're all picturing, you know, I mean, this is Long Island. So, you know, we could picture people in a trailer park or something like that. Like what kind of, you know, what kind of parents did you have? I lived, I was, I hope my parents aren't listening, but I feel my father definitely raised me. My mom was there on and off, but definitely during my very, very young years. But at, at, from, like, 12 on, I feel like mostly uh, the community around me raised me. But what was your father's role in it? I mean, um, did, first of all, is it, it was, like, kind of probably a reasonable middle-class community? Yeah, it was yeah. actually, we were, me and my friend, my, fa- uh, my father had a lot of money. He wasn't very good at sharing it. it. He was, he did support us a lot, you know. What did he do? He's a... Uh, He's a sheriff. A sheriff? Yeah. That's fairly, well, interesting. Yeah. Or ironic or whatever. And my brother is now a sheriff, too. Wow. But, uh, In um, Long Island? Mm-hmm. Wow. So anyway, um, you know, how? What was, it, what was it like? Like, did you have 
food on the table? How y- your mother left the house when you were what two? You said I, no. I was um, my mother left the house when I was around ten or twelve. 10. Okay, so I mean the formative years are before that anyway. So did you have dinner together every night? Were they before was your father that drunk or, or after? Before, like at least when your mother was there. Oh yeah, we had dinner together. They fought a lot and uh like violently to the point where we were happy when they got a divorce. It was were very Were they hitting physical violence? Uh I think so. I can't really remember. I kind of And and did you you didn't have did you have brothers or sisters? Uh, yeah, I have two half-sisters. Half-sisters that moved in with your father. Your... Uh, my sister Melissa moved in with us for like a month, I think, but that didn't last very long. And uh, I have a brother that I grew up with. I, my oh, older okay. So at that point, with. it was you and your brother. Yeah. And your parents. How old is your brother? How uh, my mo- brother is uh, three years older than me. I think oh, he's okay. So it was your older brother, you yeah. and your parents. And your parents would fight. It, and, and it really, I mean, it really wasn't, the main thing was my grandma had cancer for six years and me and my brother spent a lot of our childhood in the chemo wards and radiology wards because my mother was the only one who could take care of her and my father would be at work. Mm-hmm. So we grew up around um, definitely a lot of death. And mm-hmm. I, I have a really weird memory of us outside a chemo center, and we had just found out one of our favorite patients died, but we were playing, climbing trees at the chemo center, mm-hmm. and my brother fell off fell off the tree, and I remember laughing hysterically as these, like, cancer patients walked in. And that's just a very bizarre, surreal m- memory wow. I have from that. It sounds like your sense of humor is what kept you alive, really. Oh uh, yeah, I was def. I definitely had suicide attempts before. I when I got MS, um, I finally got medicated properly, and mm-hmm. I decided I had a really hard time when I when I was separated from my boyfriend and his family. I would also like to say he just passed away. Uh, he finally lost the battle um, just last week. So rest in peace, Timothy. Your yeah. old your old boyfriend that him and his family helped you get through all this and he he you kicked and he didn't is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, mostly. I'm not sure what really went on with him, but I'm just very. But sad. it was a drug overdose. Yeah, is that I'm what you're very saying? sad to lose him. Is all. We but we and we, actually the the kid who uh, we used to sleep in tents growing up during the summer because we both came from homes we didn't want to be in. Oh wow. Well, I shouldn't even put it that way, but you know careful who's listening but um (laughs) we used to set up a tent in his backyard and sleep in it together and he passed away of an overdose at 21 wow i've lost so many friends to both drugs and suicide it's ridiculous and that's part of the reason i wanted to do this show because i wanted to show there is a real bit bad epidemic and it's just incredibly sad and you know i grew up thinking drugs are cool and this is how cool drugs are the closest I get to a high school reunion is a funeral. Oh, man. That's not the way. Wow. That's not cool. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, I, I've been personally pretty sheltered from all that. And I imagine a lot of people that I know have been personally sheltered from all that. Um, so, I mean, I read about this stuff, you know, like that there's, you know, Oxycontin leads to heroin addiction, which makes perfect sense and all that stuff. Is there just like this huge, like, world of addiction that we're not aware of, most of the people that you know? 
Yes, there's a huge, uh, and that's a lot of the reason I do stand up. There's a huge world, probably more. I know it more than middle class or upper class. There is a huge world of addiction, and it's very tied with mental illness, poverty, and working class. And just a lot of my friends got, because we got into this so young, it was hard to find jobs. It's hard to, Mm -hmm. a a good way to uh, give you an example is when I first came back to New York after living, that's a whole nother story, geez. I lived in a trailer park in Georgia with my boyfriend now. And uh, I first came back to New York because I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a comedian. My my mm-hmm. online writing's doing mm-hmm. great. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. So I moved back to New York. And I remember trying so hard to get back into the workforce as opposed to um, disability and welfare. Because you really can't live off disability unless you do nothing but sit on a couch and barely mm-hmm. eat. Mm-hmm. So I wanted so bad to get back into the workforce. My friend who had just gotten out of state prison, who, by the way, is an 18 to 21-year-old girl, extremely talented illustrator. Uh, that's She told me the only way she got through jail without being beaten and raped, basically, is by drawing portraits of the other inmates' wow. kids. See, creativity can get you through a lot. Yeah, but also going to jail at 19 or 20 imagine. can really screw you up for the future. And I, it, I can't it, it literally angers me. It starts getting me angry because there are people who have a lot of opportunities in this world, and there are people who have a lot of setbacks. And those setbacks aren't the end all. Mm-hmm. But when you feel like the entire world is against you and there's no way out, Mm-hmm. it becomes the end all. And that's, I call it, um, because I'm a musician, I call it a negative feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Because like, if you are screwing around with your electric guitar and all of the switches on it and you put too much distortion on, mm-hmm. you get too close to the amp and you just get that sound. And sometimes you need to take a step back and fiddle the knobs and really look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I think is really interesting listening to you? is that um, what I'm really curious about, and maybe you can respond to this, is that a lot of people in your situation, including me, would have, I mean, I went through a lot with my parents, and I really value compassion and forgiveness, and that's how I've gotten past, like, I get that, and I think you're the, the queen of that, getting past things through forgiveness and compassion. So I understand that you own that. But the thing is that I don't understand is how um, is like you you don't seem to blame your parents at all. And um, you seem to feel like, I mean, you were obviously it was difficult circumstances, but you don't seem to be taking those difficult circumstances into account. And I want to know like how how you do that or how you feel about that. I don't own um, anger or stay angry. I think a lot of it, when you get MS, that whole, I can't move my body, I never know if I can. The thing with MS, I could wake up tomorrow blind. I could wake up tomorrow deaf. I could wake up tomorrow completely paralyzed from the neck down. I could wake up tomorrow paralyzed from the waist down. I could wake up with a number of maladies. It doesn't, life is, you know... I just try to live in the moment and I have I think I just have I think most comedians have to I mean you can either be an angry comic or you can be 
um, an empathetic crowd comic, but you have to read the crowd and everybody's going through their own struggle. Everybody out there has their own trauma and no one's is necessarily worse, but if you can help, you should help. If you have anger towards it, you need to let that go because life is way too short. So you're basically saying, I think, that um, you ha- aren't, I mean, I don't know how you get past it, but you, you are not, you refuse to... Um, what would that do? Would that go back and change the past? Would that no, fix anything? No, but I mean, I think that um, what it does, or what, or how most people, how I use it, is like, if I feel like, oh, I'm not getting getting what I want, I can say, well, you know, I was held back by this circumstance or that circumstance. Do you feel like that at all? No, I feel like I want to rise above it and speak for all the people I lost. So you feel... I, want, I see myself as, I want to be, my heroes are like Roseanne, you know? I want to speak... For the people, like you said, so there's a whole community of that. Yeah, there's a whole community that's being ignored in this country of people who are just totally destitute, desolate, Mm -hmm. destitute. And I would like to, you know, rise up and say, you know, uh, I used to be an addict. I have a chronic disease. Why don't we all just be honest about our problems instead of creating anger? There's no reason to be angry. You just have to change your circumstance. Yeah, I mean, that's something I can totally get behind. And anger is very much connected to ego, I think, holding on to grudges and stuff like that. And I'm very into, um, that's kind of my religion. I don't believe in holding on to ego. I believe in ego death. I believe Mm -hmm. in... um, so you you have a unique perspective as a young person in that you have dealt with a lot of death, a lot of death. Of, <clears throat> well, I guess starting with your grandmother, now I'm hearing, and a lot of young people, your friends, your peers, um, and 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 they didn't have to die, um, and um, you know, and you have your own physical obstacle. So what 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 kind of perspective do you get from that? How do you think you how do you think that I mean you're the only person you're probably often the only person with that sort of perspective of how fragile life is up close. So what what do you think you enlighten us? I think you've got something to add to the dialogue here. I don't really I don't believe energy can be created nor destroyed. I just think the ego can. And I don't think, I think when you, I think death is almost a, my friend Mickey who passed away, one of my favorite memories growing up, we were like 11 and we were hiking through the woods by us, which was really just, you know, behind a wall bounds, it's Long Island, but (laughs) we were walking through the woods and we saw a deer decomposing back into the earth and we were both like, God, that's so beautiful. That's going to be us someday. You just melt back into the earth. It's just continuously one. And I just, you're in this form, do what you can with it. And you can't take life so seriously. My main thing is humor. Mm -hmm. I just, and one of the things, what brings on MS attacks is emotional stress. Mm. I I lost my brother-in-law, one of my best friends growing up, Kaylin Croya, actually, unfortunately, took his own life. And then a month later, we lost Tim. Mm. So it was... All of that stress is what 
put me in the hospital for seven days last month. And it's like, it's weird to tell your friends, literally, you are killing me. Like you. Right, right, right. So do you think that um, having all that experience with death and maybe you're a little less afraid of it or more comfortable, let's say comfortable, comfortable with the idea because... I believe... um, I would really like to plug The Order of the Good Death. It is ran by Caitlin Dowdy. It's a great website to check out. And it's uh, rethinking the way as a community and a society we look at death Mm -hmm. and we look at grieving. And I think the messed up thing is when someone first dies, everybody's at the house and there's all these gifts and there's all these flowers. But the toughest time is the months later when you're alone and you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And we have to realize, like... If we were stronger as communities, we'd have less to worry about. Right. I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily saying religion or anything. I'm just right. saying we need to So you're saying if you're part of a community, then you're just going to feel more secure in life and you won't be just kind of hanging on to like your parents or your immediate family. Is that what you mean? Right. And I grew up mm-hmm. most of my life feeling uh cut off or rejected mm-hmm. from a community mm-hmm. and I think so did, your, did, so did, did my bro- friends, and that's where all the anger came from that led to this. Right. Did your brother have an easier time than you did? Um, a little bit, yeah, because uh, he and my my dad are like best friends. Oh. So he, he my brother is very successful. Oh, right. He's now. a sheriff. Yeah, he has a. So he's he just a, a lot more like your. He just naturally is a lot more like your parents or your father well he's more like my father i think i'm more like my mom with the wanderlust and and is your mom still around yeah i see her every once in a while she's what's act- your relationship with her she's like actually now? in town now i have anger issues that i'm trying so hard to get over mm-hmm. um so what happens like and what what kind of shape is she in is she what does she do uh, she's very healthy. She lives down in Florida. She works like three jobs, so she's trying her best to retire. Mm-hmm. She never had a college degree. The big thing with my mom was always money, which also gave me a lot of uh, class resentment that I still carry with me heavily, especially growing up on the streets and watching all these. You know, we were friends with a lot of homeless people. A lot of homeless mm-hmm. people are really sweet, and mo- a lot of them are just veterans. Yes. Or yes, slightly mentally ill and their family abandoned them. Right. It's very sad. It's a community. There's a whole level of society that's just being ignored. Right. But anyway. Yeah. But And you were part of that. And I, I would. Yes. I, and I still am. You know, I have a we- and I have a lot of weird habits from it. Like I will not let anybody throw out food when we go out to eat. I make everybody put it in a to go container and then I give it to someone on the way home. Wow. I do not believe in wasting food. I don't believe, you know, and so what? Oh, they're going to spend it on drugs. You know, like you would too if you were sleeping in a drain pipe during a <laughs> blizzard. So what was it like at your age? I mean, how old were you? What was like living on the street? What was that like? Um, it was very tough, but we built this community of, we had a really strong community of Homeless people. Uh, not even homeless people, but just messed up kids. Right. Oh, okay. And I'm still in touch with all all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, no offense. I know some of you guys are li- are living, but are listening. But we were all just we were all very into music and humor, mm-hmm. and so we'd spend most of our time, you know. But we all took each other in. If somebody right. had a basement, you could, you know, I slept in my friend Jay Haley's closet for like 
four months or so something. So you guys, you guys kind of made a substitute family. Is that what you're saying? You that's looked ex- out for each other. That's exactly is what, that what I'm did. hearing. And the sad part is, is that I think when we all broke up, uh, a lot of the members of that family really suffered because they weren't able to replace that. Right, right. I, and I know my main, th- the, the comedy community is great, but the main thing that keeps me out of depression and keeps me going is that I want to say something for them. I'm sick. You know, I hang out with girls my age and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that time I came up out of five when Jenna passed out on the lawn. That was so crazy. And my memories are like, oh my God, remember that time so-and-so had a seizure and then died? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like... Ter- terrible. So how how do you not like... I mean, you live in Bushwick and um, I mean, there's a lot of... This place is filled with hardworking you know, driven people and all that. But I mean, there's no way that, you know, people have had the obstacles that you've had. What do you, they probably what would you have. say you to me? What would you say it. to somebody like me? Like I was complaining that I hadn't had a vacation lately. What would you, what would you say to that? I usually just don't talk. Cause like, like you haven't had a vacation lately to me as like a ridiculous statement. Like yeah, yeah, I know. That's why I'm glad you're saying it. To I me. generally because that's what I keep saying. I, I haven't had a vacation. Just, that's what I'm so I, stupid. I read a lot of books and I don't really hang out with a lot of people because of that. Because I can't. I don't understand why things like that would bother them so much when they're so lucky. And I think I'm lucky. So that's the really weird stuff. Mm. You know, like, I think a lot of people see me using this so much in my material as complaining. I'm not. I'm just trying to show that there are people out there, like, that you could have it a lot worse and you should appreciate everything you have. Right. But does it make you angry? Does it? Do you feel angry at them? I get. I have anger issues. I mean, um, that would. I, probably that, I would drink imagine more that than I should. What? I probably drink more than I should in social situations. Mm-hmm. I do get angry. I have a lot of dreams where I'm like punching someone. I think it's mostly just frustration. It's just like complete disconnect from, uh, especially the world I'm trying to make it in. It's a world of entertainment where a lot of the people who can do it are very privileged and their parents are paying for comedy classes, which to me is like, what? Like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't wrap my mind around being able to pay to be funny. <laughs> uh, for me, like, becoming funny. becoming funny was a survival technique that me and all my friends had to deal with what we were dealing with. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I would imagine that, like, um, from a from a psycho psychological point of view, I think that for you, integrating and um, you know, processing all that anger must be. That's what I keep keep coming back to because um, you have so much to be angry about, but yet you also have such a powerful. Um, natural ability to um forgive and not hold on to your anger but yet we can't control the way we feel so i honestly it's weird that you keep i honestly i get angry and i'll punch well i definitely uh street tiana comes out sometimes outside comedy shows and you'll hear me mm -hmm. go off and like yo 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 yo," you know Mm -hmm. but i definitely i just and the disease I have, anger and stress, will literally kill you. Right, right, right. So comedy and comedy for me is a way to get that anger. A lot of my jokes 
are about the way people treat homeless people or about the way people Oh, another really funny thing. So to me. that's 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 actually a key point that's that your process. Yeah. That's how you process. That's actually what 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 gives you the the strength to overcome all that. I think is that you found a very direct way, and a very positive way, and a way that other people can acknowledge to channel your anger in a very productive way it's uh, an important force anger is a great force and it can and be and i really you're think a great that it is of kind it. of driving me i'm angry for my friends i think they should uh have gotten to see life you know outside of institutions or i think that they should have had the chances that you know the girl at table four that's like oh my god it was so crazy my dad took me to italy like you know maybe <laughs> She could have skipped Italy and my friend could have gone to college. Stuff like that. Yeah. It is. It does get a little. Yeah. Yeah. But I I mean, mean, I'm covered in tattoos. I do dress very tough. And uh, but that's I don't I don't know. You know, I want to uh, make sure that I uh, give us another station ID. Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, It's www.radiofreebrooklyn.com. The call in number if you feel like calling in. Um, is 718-395-3731. So how are, you, how are you feeling right now, Tiana? I hope I haven't focused on a lot of the negatives, a lot of the negative stuff. I mean, it's not, I, again, I just got back from a funeral. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I've, I get, I got texted when my friend committed suicide while I was hosting a show. And I got texted as I was walking out of off the stage. I went in the bathroom, cried hysterical, and went Aww. back on stage. Like I, I don't, I, you know. Let's hear about what, like, what you're really proud of and what makes you happy. Yeah, that's what I really want to get um, back to. I'm really proud of my main thing is just cre- creative. That's all. All, all, all I want to do in life is uh, create. And I think uh, comedy is a great venue to get when you watch The Daily Show or Colbert Report or even Parks and Recreation, it's a great way to... And people are watching it like, oh, this is entertaining, this is fun, I'm really absorbing this because I enjoy it. But it, they're getting a message across. Right, right, And that, right. to me, is extremely inspiring. Right. That's something I would like to be able to do. So you maybe you have a little bit of um, activism? Oh, yeah, totally. And so what... So do you feel... It's like you sarcastic feel, activism, what? if that makes sense. It's almost like a sarcastic activism, if that makes right. sense. which makes it easier to digest. Yeah. Yeah, because there's less ego in it. Like, you're not telling... You're not preaching. Yeah, and I'm not... I, you're just being I, I, real. And I'm not... A lo- what does come out is that my friends will be complaining about something or, oh, I grew up this blah, blah, blah. And I'll... I'll say my story and it sounds like I'm trying to outdo them and I see them instantly get pissed. And I'm like, I'm not, but I'm not meaning to throw my ego at you. I'm meaning to say, that's the past, let it go, let's move on. Right, right. And sometimes, yeah, like you said, that anger does come out and I just do get emotional. So, so, but, um, but do you actually, are you actually, you could, you say that directly to them? Yeah. That's beautiful. Like, there's a great thing. Listen how t- direct and empowering, powerful that is, because that's the kind of shit that we all got to learn how to do. Because, like, you're just being direct, and you're also, like, saying, you're saying it in a way that you're taking responsibility 
and you're not trying to like put a trip on anybody. This is the way it is. Here's a way to make it better. Right. And uh, I, I just get blown away by um, I've worked hard my whole life. And then I meet people in the city, especially who want to be artists and they're just here on their parents' dime playing. And they call them, they're like, I'm hustling, I'm hustling, I'm hustling. But really they're just partying with their friends and occasionally working on an art. And that I do get very jealous of because I'm hustling, I'm hustling, I'm hustling. I would do anything to be able to get on stage eight times a night. Mm -hmm. But between my health, the fact I still, I have to pay all these bills, Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm on my own, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So they're being like, this is tough, this hustle, this is the real run through. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I had to sit at the welfare office for seven hours today to make sure I got my medication that keeps me alive. Wow. Like it does, I do get angry and bitter and guilty and I think it kind of alien, Nates me from people, but I try my best to stay away from that because I think any sort of energy or emotion like that is so destructive. Well, I think you know, bringing it bringing it out on stage. I mean, that's that's you know, I think that um, you know, I think that's really, I think that's really, you know, I, I think it takes takes you know takes balls, and I think it's healing for people to be confronted with stuff Some like that. Some people won't like some people don't like it and they're like why don't you just talk about funny things but for the most part what will happen is after shows you know the audience comes up and and says oh you were great you were great you were great then they'll get to me and um i've literally had a woman break down crying i'd never met her before in my life on my shoulder and she was like you know my father molested me and my mom threw out the mattress he did so on today and i really needed to hear that and that's really hard for me, but at the same time, that's exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I know that half the audience is mm-hmm. going to go home in a cab and, you know, mm-hmm. put on their flat screen mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I know that there's two or three audience members in there. Well, you're, you know, you're only 27. I think you're doing really well. I mean, you know, you could be the one going home in a cab, I think, in a couple of couple of years dreams so <laughs> what? I said dreams I wonder what I wonder what would what your life would be like if you ever really started making a lot of money and I've, all that would be really interesting me and my friend uh one of my best friends we came up together in comedy um Evan Jones we discussed this with each other what we would do with our money uh I would be more about I can't Poverty suits me, which is a quote from one of my friends. Poverty suits me. I've known it my whole life. I feel like a, I don't know if I can say this word, but I feel like a D-bag, a douchebag. You know, if I'm spending tons of money and the person next to me has nothing. Right, right. So I think I would still, you know, I I can't drive because of my MS. I would definitely, I would definitely get a maid because I'm I'm a slob. (laughs) <laughs> but I would stay in a small apartment and I would try to fund as many art projects as I can and maybe start a charity and do a lot more benefit shows. Huh. I know one of my heroes, Sarah Silverman, they, she was in an interview. They were like, so you got to be pretty rich now. You must be loaded. And she's, they were like, how do you live? And she's like, oh, I'm still driving my four-door 97 Nissan and I live in a studio apartment and really? an apartment building. Wow. And, I just do tons of benefit shows, and the, 
and it was Joan Rivers interviewing her, and, and she, Joan Rivers was like, "What? What are you doing? You know?" Yeah. And so I was like, "Yeah, I guess I should be." Where's working your jewelry, for honey? Where's yeah, your jewelry? Yeah. So this is a you know this is a psychotherapy show. So we've only got uh, we got 15 minutes left. Do you have any like issues that we could discuss? Do you have anything you anything on your mind that you want to talk about? Maybe we can help solve. Uh, it's mainly that anger. I think uh, with my MS coming back, I think I'm a little bit in denial. I keep leaving my cane places, and then I I walk up. I totally forget I have a cane. I walk a block. And then I'm like, ow, why, why, why does this hurt so bad? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I need a cane now. So you're trying to get used to having your cane with you. Yeah, and I won't necessarily need it forever. Um, I do, oh. do want to know if Medicare would cover, like, a sword cane. I want, like, a golden cobra head that, like, turns into a sword. Oh, see, yeah, well, <laughs> there we go. There's some material That's an issue that, that I'd like want. to work on, if you can help me get one of those. Maybe we could, maybe um, somebody will, uh, you know, if, if anybody wants to contribute to that, please, you know, send us the address for uh, Brooklyn Free Radios, right? It's on actually, the it's actually illegal. I totally looked it up. It's a what? It's illegal to have a sword cane. Oh. So don't do that, because you'll don't get in trouble. It. But I was, and I, I was. It's, just oh, thinking. it's like a, uh, it's a, it's an unconcealed weapon. Yeah. But but anyway, so so you forget your your cane. So do you think that's? I have. But you're saying you're also thinking that you're in denial about MS. Well, no, I think I just I have so much, <laughs> I have so much brain damage now. I would name my first special like, I have brain damage. What's your excuse? And it gets <laughs> that's great. It gets really embarrassing because I like to consider myself a smart person, but I will forget names ten seconds after you. Tell Everybody me. forgets names. That's not about intelligence. I think I think the entire population should walk around with name tags. I really do. Yeah, right. I wish, <laughs> I'm telling you, I wish at my wedding I'd had everybody wear name tags. It would have made it so much more fun. <laughs> but um, just embarrassing things like that. You know, I'm uh. But here's what I'm going to say is like, I mean, you're really funny and really talented. And how can you say that and productive? So how can you say that you have brain damage and yet like humor is a very high form of intelligence? Like, I don't understand that. Because you can where the brain damage is doesn't necessarily have to affect humor. But I have I literally need a caretaker. I have a lot of trouble. I will. I've lit my own apartment on fire several times. And I ha- forget what year it is. I don't know how to get home sometimes. Mm-hmm. I have. It's just. It's. Um, I'll. I don't know. So it may not um, affect like. You know. I don't. I don't. I look the- like. Um, just. A, I mean, people with. We're in Bushwick. People think the cane is an accessory. Fact, yeah, right, right. I, I, I look totally fine, but it's... Uh, no, yes. I do deal with a lot of pain, and of course, I now stay... I try my best to stay away from opiates, which is difficult when you're in so much pain. Oh, yeah, because the doctors, that's what they give you, right? That's uh, what you mean. Like, you're, yeah. you don't want... You, you said to me earlier that you don't take the pain medication because you don't want to... You know, it's not good for your sobriety, right? Well, I'm not 100% sober, but I am... Or whatever. I never want to go back to being addicted to opiates. And that was, I think, the reason why that that drug really got a hold on me is because I do have such a painful disease. 
Yeah. And I'm on Narat now, but I'm still in a lot of excruciating pain. And that's another thing with angry. It's really hard to be angry when you're just feeling like stabbing and burning and shooting pains all the time. It's like I don't even care what that person's doing. I'm worried that my leg doesn't give out and I fall so into you, subway. So you really have a, a really a really particular, you know, a really certain perspective, a strong perspective. Yeah, I got to take care of me. I can't worry about anyone right, else. Right, right. So do you have a, I, I'm guessing you have a good support group. I mean, a good, like, do you have friends and stuff like that? Like people that you count on? Um. <laughs> no. My, uh. My boyfriend takes care of me a lot. Uh, he helps out. He's listed as my caretaker. And then the comedy community is is just absolutely amazing. They're, they're great, right? They uh, threw a charity for me, which was I had a really hard time with because I have s- too much pride, you know. I'm one of those people who's like, really? don't help me. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's in- see, that but seems it was, like an ego thing. I'm surprised. It is. It's an ego thing, but it's also it, – a strong like I want to be able to do it on my own. I I want to be I want to be a superhero. I put you know a lot on myself. Yeah, I but should at say. the hospital I was getting, I went I was stuck in the hospital uh, this past I think it was a, exactly a month ago, for eight days and I was in a lot of pain. I had lost all feeling on the left side this time and my MS had spread throughout my brain. So I was in a lot of pain, and I was in the hospital alone, and it was a crowded room full of old, you know, like, mm-hmm. and uh, I was kind of, I wasn't depressed, but I was scared. I think anybody would be. Yeah, that sounds, that's what I was thinking, fear. What? Yeah, that's. And I'm hooked up to all these machines, and they're yeah. beeping, and I'm terrified, basically, and I had so many visitors that they had to tell people to stop coming. I had people oh I God. didn't know. People I'd never met in my life. Oh, my who I, who, God. Who just like my jokes on Facebook and Twitter, sent oh me gift God. baskets. I, I'm a huge comic book geek, so it became like everybody sent me comic books or stopped by and brought me comic books. And now, even after my last episode of Gentrification at the Creek in the Cave... Someone just ran up to me while I was sitting at the bar with the owner and threw a comic book at me and ran away. And I was like, wait, we can be friends. <laughs> oh, they're shy. But I felt like they're it intimidated felt, by it you. It felt very special. You know, it felt I, I felt. Wow. Loved. So, I mean, this is this is like what I this is like what I find so um I mean, as corny as I don't want to, I don't want to sound corny, but like beautiful, remarkable, inspiring, all that stuff is that what you have been through, um, you've been able to create or uh, get people to identify with you in a way that um, makes them realize their own vulnerabilities and be okay with it, I think. And then to, to have it come full circle where they want to reach out to you and be there for you. I mean, that's what it feels like to me. Is and that I, what it's and like? And I want to reach out and be there for for them. And that was my entire goal in life. I just want us all to stop, you know, like, yeah, we're all different and we're all insecure. Oh, yeah. But the I see that ability in comedy to bring people together. You bring, you have a room of 100 people all laughing together. Right. Those people are coming together, you know? Right. Right. Comedy to me is like my religion. I could have, 
I couldn't, you know, and when I hear people talking about, oh, I'm going to get famous, I'm going to get rich, I don't care about that. Uh-huh. What you just explained is exactly what I want. Right. That is right. exactly what I want. Or right. the girl coming up to me afterwards and, and saying I needed someone to talk to. Right. That I want, you know, I, again, I want to be the tough guy, the superhero. I want to be the one of our friends that makes it out and talks for all of us and helps right. other people stuck in the same situation and, if I and, can. And but you're okay, you know, I mean, now, now, now as your therapist, I hope, you know, a little worried. I hope you let people take care of you. You let your boyfriend take care of you, right? Yeah, I let a comic Is he the only person? No, I hope not. Um, you let you let people take care of you? I ha- I do have a problem with that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um I don't trust anyone. Right, because I think if you <laughs> let people take care of you, you're you're I mean, there is a gift to them in that cuz they want to be close to you. And when you that's the ultimate vulnerability is to let people take care of you. It's hard because everybody I feel like everybody that I did open up and let take care of me, I've lost and I don't want to lose Right, right. I think it's also, I mean, we're going to have to finish up soon, but a note for you, I think, is that from what I'm hearing, I think it's really important that you realize you're not that person anymore. You're not that person. You're a very, I mean, I just met you today and in person, and I'm going to tell you that you're a really, like, charismatic, powerful, brilliant young lady. Thank you. And uh, I don't think, I think that um, if I'd met you in high school, I probably, I certainly wouldn't have thought all that. Um, You would have scared me, I'm sure, um, is probably my reaction. I would have been afraid of being drawn into that and being like you. Yeah. Um, But that person, I don't know that person. I didn't meet that person today. I don't see that person. That person... Um, doesn't, you know, that person's integrated into who you are, but that's not the person you are. The person you are is the person I just said you are. Yeah, but that's a a big part of what made the person I am now. Exactly, exactly. But what I'm saying is that person got integrated into you, I think, so that you, you couldn't be the powerful person you are now if you didn't have that in you. But... To just, you know, I mean, these things don't happen overnight. You know, I mean, I just think that like if, and you know, it's hard to do, but I think like if you can realize that like people that meet you today, they don't know, they don't know that about you. They don't, that you can tell them, they probably can't even imagine it. Is that what people say to you? They can't even imagine it? Um, No, not really. I don't really open up to too many people. <laughs> at least in person. Yeah, at least in person. <laughs> no. Um, I Mostly through writing and comedy. Through writing and comedy. And uh, I think people can believe it because I do have a very tough, hard exterior. And for some reason, I do have... I think people are intimidated by me. I don't know what it is yeah, about me. Yeah, I can me. see that. It's just an energy that people are intimidated. Because you're powerful. But it's, yeah. but a it's, powerful young woman is frightening. Because they know you know, you know, you've been through a lot. They can tell. But, but I think, you know, I think, I think, I think uh, if I'm going to write you a prescription, and I think you, I think I will. Do you know that I, I have my own prescription pad? Oh, I would. State of Insanity, uh, <laughs> I can post this online and so you can see it. But I want to write you a prescription that says uh, to uh, try to 
let people in to engage with your your vulnerability. I think that could be a lot of growth for you. I think that's the least likely place that you that you're going to grow because you don't have to. But I think that's really where letting people in and learning to trust them. I think is a really good thing for you to focus on. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just have no clue how to do that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll have to fix it, fix that up next time. <laughs> so anyway, um, Tiana, I have so enjoyed. I hope I hope. I hope this was I hope this was good for you. Um I totally loved having you on. Oh, it was great. Thank you. Okay, we're signing off from WW Free Brooklyn Free Radio. Uh, Dr. Lisa, next week I'm having somebody from the Bushwick Daily on, I think. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Yay.